Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 374. This is the final episode of 2018. All that good stuff. It is time for part two of our Marvel Comics end of the year celebration with me and editor-in-chief CB Sobolski. Uh, I had a blast talking with CB about this. We also have a special speedy little spoiler cast chat about Marvel's Spider-Man, the city that never sleeps with producer Eric Monicelli that we wanted to hold until after the final DLC chapter, Marvel Spider-Man Silver Lining came out on December 21st. So now that that's out, we can give that to you right now. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Or skip ahead two minutes, really just two minutes and you'll be outside the little spoiler chat. I know some of you have not finished the game, not played all that stuff, so couldn't let you go in blind. That out of the way, enjoy. Let's talk a little bit about the whole DLC package. So, yeah, City of Never Sleeps, DLC number three, Silver Lining just dropped. And, um, you know, seeing the return of Silver Sable and Hammerhead in this huge mecha hammerhead cyborg form, which, you know, is is completely like we actually had reference from a comic we use, the Mr. Negative comic. But, you know, it wasn't really ever done like this. And so it was really cool. We got to work very closely and and Somniac did a really imaginative job of making Hammerhead look just badass and be a really tough boss fight. I mean, at the end of Turf Wars, he was a tough boss fight. Annoyed the crap out of me. He was like, <laughs> no, we're moving out of the way. Right. Ugh. That laser, yeah, he's, he's tough. So bringing him back, bringing Sable back, but then twisting it a little bit where you fight her, but you also team up with her. It has been really fun to see that sort of play out and how, um, you know, we're interested to see how fans react to that because she's sort of always been that character that's, Good and bad, good, bad, chaotic, good. She's, like I mean, she's always had her reasons for doing what she does. Yeah. You know, she's sort of of the Doctor Doom right. school of things where, yeah, she's she's the hero of her story, but she's got an agenda for her people. Right. If you get in her way, well, that's too she's bad. Gonna, yeah. Her people are her priority. Yeah. And so I found that always very interesting because, yeah, she'll skirt the line wherever she needs to. Yeah, because she just wants to do it right. And that's the interesting thing about the character and why we wanted to bring her back. And then um, you also see the return of Black Cat a little bit, which everybody thought she died. <laughs> it's, it's unique. Yeah. I, you know, it was interesting watching, you know, fans or, or critics or whatever be like, well, I don't know about the second one. Like, it's a, an overarching story. It's mm-hmm. like this piece where all three pieces come together, tell you this thing, this bigger narrative. When it all comes together, it feels very complete. And to look at it separately and to judge it that way, I was I thought was a little unfair, but I hope everybody has dug it a lot more by the end. Yeah, and I think they will. I think this DLC is, is one of the best ones we put out, and especially with all these characters coming together and just, you know, taking them on. And, yeah, I'm excited to see the responses. Heck, yeah. Okay, now you're back. We're just diving right in because we've got top books for this week's episode of Marvel's Pull List. You know why? Because there's only four books this week. They're all our top books. And I am so delighted that you got to hear me talk with Ricky Purden, who is now director Ricky Purden. He got a promotion of our talent management system. Anyway, Ricky Purden joins me this week to talk about all four comics on sale. Fantastic Four number five, which is the wedding issue and it is wonderful. Superior Spider-Man number one, Uncanny X-Men number seven, and X-Force number one. Subscribe to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, before we get into our final chat with CB Sobolski, we've got two pieces of community from you guys, and you're all amazing. First one is from Dan Everett, who says, Favorite Marvel moment of 2018 was Dan Slott's issue, number 800 of Amazing Spider-Man. So good. Green Goblin in the Carnage symbiote, just so good. Yes, Dan, it was terrific. And Amanda, ah, Francis, ah, Francis. I like that. I like to sing it. Amanda, so good to hear from you again. She says, my favorite Marvel Comics moment of 2018 was hands down finally reading Unstoppable Wasp by Jeremy Whitley. So happy for the new series and Guru Hero's art is incredible. Damn Skippy, Amanda. It was terrific. Really good. Uh, and you're going to hear more about the comics and the other stuff with Mr. C.B. Sobolski, Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief, right now. CB, welcome back. We're here to finish up our conversation on Marvel Comics in 2018. You ready? Yeah, we talked so much last time. Let's keep it going. All right, let's kick it off with Captain America number one. Tanahasi Coates, Neil Yu, yep. big plans. I just love that Tanahasi's like, yes, this is the story I want to tell. It's amazing. You know, we're really working with one of the key voices in American literature at this point who's coming and working for us at comics. It just speaks to the strength of what we do and how far comics have come. And, you know, doesn't get any bigger than Laniel. And pairing those two, we knew we had gold. They delivered a story that I think is one of the, the perfect follow-up to Secret Empire, to what Mark and Chris were doing on their Captain America, taking Cap and the surrounding cast of characters in a completely different direction. Yeah. Tanahasi and Laniel is such a good pairing. Their Cap feels stoic but intense and... I say dangerous because he can be a dangerous force. There's a moment yeah. where he's fighting Taskmaster in one of the episodes or one of the issues. And it's just, oh, yeah, do not push Steve that far. You know, everybody talks about the Hulk can be so deadly. And, you know, Hawkeye is, you know, a, a lethal weapon with his bow. But Cap is one of the most highly trained, efficient soldiers in the world. And yeah. we forget about that. Yeah. Oh, this, this run has been really, really good. Uh, we got to move on to Cosmic Ghost Rider, which, <laughs> yeah, we laugh and we smile and it's awesome. And Donnie does that whole bit about, here's the Thet Presses and it's <laughs> Frank Castle and, you know, Odin and Thanos. And it's like, oh, God, what did he create and unleash on us? But it's awesome. Yeah. Donnie Cates, Dylan Burnett doing great work here. Yep. Uh, and this coming out of the Thanos win stuff, which was earlier in the year. Is that wrapped up? It's just it's so fun. Every now and then you get lightning in a bottle. And there's characters that fans and editors and readers like us just gravitate towards. And Deadpool held that title for so long of, like, people just keep coming back and reading it. But now, you know, it's like if Deadpool and Cosmic Ghost Rider are in a race, I think Cosmic Ghost Rider kind of, kind of, of you know, edging ahead a little in, in the comic book world. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm not going to tell uh, Rob that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Up next is Death of the Inhumans, number one. Another Donny Cates joint and this Ariel Olivetti. And I am a huge Ariel Olivetti fan. I remember reading The Last Avenger story yep. years ago. So good. What do we do when we have a critically acclaimed, multi-Eisner award-winning title starring the king of the Inhumans? We kill the Inhumans. <laughs> you know, how Marvel of us. <laughs> when Donnie pitched his story, he's like, yeah, you'll never let me do this, but. And he went off, told us the whole story. But it made perfect sense because while the name of the title is The Death of the Inhumans, it's a story about the lives and the bonds between these characters that we all know and love. Go back to the you know the early days of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. There's some really poetic, wonderful prose in mm -hmm. there, you know, because Black Bull for, doesn't talk. So you're just getting his thoughts and the way Donnie writes is, is really wonderful. Yeah. And Ariel did do his words justice. Unbelievably so. 
I know you and I, big Star Wars fans, you probably a bigger Star Wars fan than I am, but we had Star Wars number 50, which is the big Hope Dies storyline. Yeah. It's just overall, it's got to be fun for you to be able to be a part of canon of the legacy that is Star Wars. Yeah, you know, I, I when we got that license, I was a kid in a candy store. It was the biggest smile on my face. And, you know, even though I was in talent management, I was like, no, I have to come back and, and be a part of this. So I was, you know, executive editor on those books when they launched and coming back now to find the Star Wars books just as healthy and just as creatively inspired as they were. And, you know, the relationship with Lucasfilm has gotten that much stronger over the last couple of years. And they're letting us take so many chances with the big characters of Star Wars, but even stuff with like Poe Dameron, you know, a character that hasn't been really established. And they have such trust in Charles. And back then it was Phil Noto and, and Jordan White and then Mark Panisha's editors. They really able to tell stuff that hasn't even been explored on in the, the movies just yet. So we're given amazing creative rain now and we could not be more thankful and yeah. hope the fans are enjoying as much as we are. Yeah, I would imagine so. I hope so. Young Tucker, my co-host for Marvel's Pull List, big Star Wars fan. He is always excited and happy and they just start to light up when we talk about those books. So and Dr. Afro, a character that was created in Marvel Comics became an action figure. I, oh, I own it. Did you get, did you get a set? I've got one. Uh, so good. Yeah. Up next is Amazing Spider-Man number one. Of course, 801 issues later, we get a new take on Spider-Man. I just love seeing Ryan Otley having a blast. And the thing that I was thinking about when Ryan started there and then Ryan started on Venom, yep. you have the two Ryans on Venom and Spidey and their influences. You look at Stegman, very influenced by Todd McFarlane. And you look at Otley, heavily influenced by Eric Larson. I love looking at how they have taken those influences and just run with them. You should have them both on the podcast and you can do the Ryan show. Ooh, triple mm -hmm. Ryan. I like that. Write it down. <laughs> we have, of course, our Marvel Digital Originals, yep. uh, which is a really cool line. Cloak and Dagger, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Daughters of the Dragon. And the way that we looked at these was it was an opportunity to tell stories with these great characters that people know and love from all the TV shows. And have this serve as a gateway. Let them go from the Netflix shows right into the comics and then go, oh, really want these. Where do we get more? Boom. Here's your comic shop. You know, go and support your local retailer. Yeah. Some really fun stories. Jessica Jones was great. But Daughters of the Dragon is one of my favorite books of the year. Those covers by Andrew Robinson, which are absolutely gorgeous. It's what travel for me. And then Jed McKay, who's writing just really, really fun stuff. Yeah. You know? Jed McKay is one of those guys we were talking about in the previous episode of like people I want to keep my eye on. Yes. Jed did a Supiderman yep. story in, in, in Spider, excuse me, spider Uh that, you know, we'll talk about. But And the Infinity Warp story that he did yeah. was really, really fun and yep. twisted. You know what? Less than 12 months ago, you were asking, who's this Donny Cates guy? And now look where you are. And, you know, yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. Jed McKay is one of those guys who came into our lives this year at Marvel, and we know that he's not leaving anytime soon. <laughs> Good. I'm very happy to hear that. Big, big title for us, Life of Captain Marvel. Yeah. Number one hit this summer. We're talking about Carol's origins, her past, but a lot of looking towards her future for us and for our the fandom, and, you know. Margie Stoll, Carlos Pacheco, Marguerite Savage. It's been really, really a surprise. You know, this wonderful. year was Carol Danvers' 50th anniversary as a character, not just as Captain Marvel, but all the incarnations that she'd had over the years. And so we just wanted to really tell a story that danced between the raindrops and retold her origin 
answer some questions that have never been answered before. Simple stuff about, you know, her family, her mother, her powers. Like, where did all this stuff come from? Because there's been, you know, a lot of different angles to her life across all different books. And what Margie and Carlos and, you know, editor Sarah Bernstein really did was boil it all down and tell this heartfelt tale about not just her as, as a hero, but her as a daughter, as a sister, as a friend to so many people in that town in Maine that we've established now. Yeah. Another book that I absolutely adored, we saw Wind Down, but we'll come back up uh, as we talk later, Spider-Gwen. Spider-Gwen. 34 issues of a series that was just a tie-in. Yeah, off the Spider-Verse anthology that came up back in the day. You know, Jason Latour and, and Robbie Rodriguez just came up with a design of a character and told these tales about her and her friends and her band, which was a huge part of her life, that expanded out beyond comics faster than we've ever seen anything before, I think. Yeah. A couple years ago, she didn't exist, and now here she is on screen in the Spider-Verse movie, which is terrific. And And on the small screen in Marvel Rising, too. Everyone knows who Spider-Gwen slash Ghost Spider is. Yeah, which is wonderful. We love doing big events. We love crossovers. We love big stories. Big one this year for us was Infinity Wars. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but again, a comic book where you can see that the creators are having fun. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is... Is what we want. And, you know, after the success of the film, there was a weight on our shoulders. Like, oh, my God, what can we do with the characters that's going to live up to the reputation and the fan expectations coming out of this movie who leave the theaters into the shops to look for more? And I think what Jerry and Dio, Mike Diodato did on Infinity Wars truly delivers from, you know, what they did to Thanos, what they did to Gamora, some of the surprises, and then the twisting of the characters, the amalgamated versions of the the Marvel characters that they created and that spun off into series of their own. It was just so much, like you said, fun. Yeah. I remember the conversations in the retreats. If you could take two characters and put them together, yeah. you watch the wheels turn. Someday we will get Deadbolt, a cross between <laughs> Deadpool and Black Bolt. Use your imagination. <laughs> uh, we have in here uh, Mr. and Mrs. X. I just want to point that out. Uh, we've talked a lot about Rogue and Gambit, but this is taking a storyline from the beginning of the year through big changes into this other series. Oscar Bazaldua, just such a like stunning art. The way he does acting and faces yep. in particular. So good. But he's fearless in not just his character acting, but anything he draws. You know, draw a spaceship, draw a toaster, draw a car, draw a horse. I mean, Kelly's run the gamut on that <laughs> book from taking them off in their honeymoon to everything that he, Oscar's been tasked to do. He's done seamlessly as a penciler. Yeah. Kelly's imagination is incredible. Big X-Men stuff. Got to talk about it. X-Men Grand Design, Second Genesis. I got the, the large the collected edition. Yeah. Oh, immediately move books out of the way. Yep. It sits on the bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Ed Pisker is wonderful. Oh, my God. I mean, we we were just so lucky that he, you know, came to us and wanted to bring that project to Marvel. And his love of those characters shines through so clearly. And just not just in the way that he's telling the story, but just in the design, you know? Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. Like you said, you put it on your bookshelf. And it's, it's design always have to be complicated. The simple sometimes the best. Yeah. What is going to keep coming out of his mind? We've got another volume of X-Men Grand Design and then some talks about doing some other stuff. Ooh. So, And if you follow Ed on Twitter, just some of the stuff he tweets he's been pulling out of his archives is just awesome. Like, I had that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Talked a little bit about it. Teased it. You are a big fan. Fantastic Four, yeah. number one. Which was wonderful that we actually put this issue out 
on the anniversary yeah. of the original Fantastic exactly. Four number one. And we can't get enough alliteration with the FF from, you know, First Family, Foremost Family, Future Foundation. And let's not forget Fantastic 400,000, which is what it sold. <laughs> Just a nice little yeah. bit of icing on the cake. Totally. Uh, Dan, Sara doing so much fun stuff and... Just the first three issues. And they didn't just bring back the Fantastic Four, you know, Reed, Sue, Ben, and Johnny. They brought back every member of the Fantastic Four ever, including Iceman, who's never had a Fantastic Four adventure yet. I loved that bit. I, I was like, no. Dan, Dan, Dan. I was like yep. shaking my finger at him. But then it had those big action moments that everyone expects from, you know, the cosmonauts that those characters are to the quiet family moments that everybody knows and loves. And there is more stuff coming, including more cats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. One of the things that I, I I really dug into this year was the annuals. Growing up, annuals were so cool. Yeah. And to see annuals come back and, like, great stories, giving creators a chance to shine, doing some different things. It's a lot of fun. What was the push for annuals for you? When I was coming up, Bill Jemis, who was published at the time, and Joe Casada said, you know, we want to see what some of the more younger editors can do. And they gave us each a series to launch and said, hey, free reign, launch a series, see what you can do. That's where Runaways came out of and uh, Sentinel came out of. And a lot of these great Marvel books were just executives taking a chance on us. So when I came back as the IC, you know, I really didn't know the juniors all that well, but I want to get an understanding of their sensibilities creatively for writers and for art. So I said, I can't give you all guys a series, but... How about you just get a one-shot, you get an annual, do whatever you want with it. Any character, any creators, show me what you got. Create the comic that you would want to see reading when you were growing up. The theme was Untold Tales, and they came up with this amazing set of annuals using some great characters, some lesser-known characters, but for the most part going back to either classic creators or new and -and up-and-coming creators who we brought eyes on and who are now doing more work for Marvel. So uh, it was an experiment, but it turned into a successful event. That's a lovely story. Yeah. Maybe not quite so lovely, definitely good. It's Punisher. Number one uh, came out, and it's Frank Castle versus Hydra on New York City streets. Maybe issue two or three, double page spread. Mm-hmm. You've got Punisher in a train car, Daredevil up top. Daredevil's fighting ninjas. Punisher is fighting a bunch of dudes in the train Ninja, car. Yep. And it's just wild. Matt Rosenberg keeps coming up. He finds inventive ways to do dangerous, horrible things to yeah. characters. The Punisher War Machine arc where Punisher got you know, one of Tony Stark's armors was a fantastic story. And we knew, though, that we had to bring him back to New York. Matt is a native New Yorker. He understands the city better than anything. So like, even scenes like in the subway, they were really reflective of what New York is and you know the vigilantism that... And Frank Castle back in New York with Daredevil, with the new TV show, you know, what more could you ask for? You yeah, know? I love it. Extermination. They killed Cable, CB. What is this all about? No, they killed old Cable. We still uh, have young Cable. Kid Cable. <laughs> kid Cable. Old baby Cable. <laughs> yep. I think it's, it's interesting because it's a story that is tied to classic stuff, but is also something that you can just dive into. It fits into so many different X-Men buckets. Ed Brisson, who I think is just a, a diamond in the rough, he's written so much great stuff for us. And this is really where he goes and he really put it all together and just kind of shined on his own. And his love of the X-Men is apparent. And then Pepe Larraz. I mean, the I go to all these conventions and I ask up-and-coming artists, who are your influences? A lot of times you hear Olivier Coipel and, you know, Steve McNiven, Brian Hitch, of course, the, the greats of our generation. And, you know, then, you know, some other names like Sean Murphy started to pop it up. But now, for the last six months, every portfolio I've been to, Pepe Larraz, Pepe Larraz, Pepe Larraz, Pepe Larraz. The guy's a genius with a pencil. 
the way that he brought that story to life, I don't think we could be happier. Yeah. A lot of elements about Pepe are like a modern Alan Davis to me Mm -hmm. in in all the best ways. Mm -hmm. Love his work. Funny story about Pepe. He's an X-Men head just like I am. Mm -hmm. He made a pact with his brothers when they were kids that if one of them ever got to draw the X-Men, they would all go out and get X-Men tattoos. So after he got the X-Men extermination gig, him and his brothers, they all went out and they've got X-Men tattoos on their back now. That's the best thing (laughs) ever. I love that. Another book I love, West Coast Avengers, number one. Kelly Thompson, just having a blast. And Stefano Caselli. I remember, you know, from Secret Warriors years ago and that, like, graffiti-ish style to just getting more and more refined to getting to this place where he is now. A little softer, so to speak, in his body language, not his hard lines. And then the coloring that Triona is doing over him is great. But I think also it's just that group of characters from Gwenpool to Quentin to Kate to Tigra. You know, I think he really took to them because it's not characters used to every day. So you had to kind of stretch yourself in terms of reference and interpreting him in, in a way that he might not have had to draw before. So. Yeah. And I love Kelly taking a character like Gwenpool, bring her into her team. Yeah. And then the chaos that she brings with a Quentin Choir or yeah. whomever else, it is a hoot. And Brodock. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, we talked a little bit about Asgardians of the Galaxy, but I just love that we have a book that has Throg as one of the main characters in the middle of things, along with Angela. It's just a lot of fun. You know, I've already spoken so highly of Matteo Lali, but Cullen Bunn, you know, he's been a guy that's told some key stories for Marvel over the years and some great telling Deadpool stuff, but he's not a name that's an everyday name in so many readers' uh, you know, minds or in retailers' minds. But now with this book, I think he's really cementing himself. Wow, the ideas that he's putting forth with the Asgardian mythos, with Throg, with Angela, the mix of characters. Even Thunderstrike is in there, yeah. you know? It's just so much fun, and the concepts he's introducing are really going to change kind of the core of the Asgardians and of that team as we go into War of the Realms for 2019. Yeah. One of the big books, obviously, this year is Return of Wolverine. And I remember when I opened the book the first time, Charles Soule, art in the first issue by Steve McNiven, and then Declan comes in in, in a couple is- issues. Steve's art yeah. on that first issue. I had Barry Windsor Smith vibes yeah. in there, but yeah. you can see Steve throughout all of it. And it's one of the most stunning books we've yeah. put out. Yeah, you know, you talk to Steve about it because it was quite apparent when he started turning those pages. He goes, yeah, you know, I'm deconstructing Barry Smith and reinterpreting through my vision and my pencil. And he really did. You know, you can, like I said, you can see the influence, but it's 100% McNiven. Yeah. Just in, in the way that he told the story, he laid out the pages, the way that Wolverine moves across the entirety of the first issue, colored by Laura Martin, who was just, just, you know. Legend. Yeah, legend. Yeah. Great way to put it. Yeah. It's like the end of the year, we're getting more and more big stories, big events. We've got Spider-Geddon. I can't. It's like a personal pact I have with myself for Nick Lowe where I have to say it that way or else I feel like he'll come in and yell at me. (laughs) We've got the edge of Spider-Verse stories and characters, Mm -hmm. the characters that came up in Vault, which is so good. And then bringing in the Spider-Man from Marvel's Spider-Man on PlayStation 4, Mm -hmm. it is big and fun and it is a good time yeah the synergy that marvel has across all divisions now you know when we were doing this event jumped on the phone with bill roseman we knew the spider game was coming how can we incorporate this the guys at insomniac were amazing they gave us some you know some story ideas they had some of their artists contribute variant covers and spider geddon is it's another big story focusing more on miles and on peter this time around there's the movie coming too and that didn't escape escape <laughs> us <laughs> but you know it's it's let's let's recapture that magic of what we had with spider verse do kind of the same thing see what cool spider characters can spin out of this 
in vaults or in Edge of Spider-Geddon. Bring back some of those popular characters like Spider-Gwen, like Spider, like Spider-Man from Japan. And there's a couple heartbreaking deaths along the way. A <laughs> yeah. lot of people are really upset about a certain someone that I don't want to spoil already. What Chris Gage is doing on that book is just showing his love of those characters. Heck yeah. This year we had two sort of things that were happening around the same time. A group of books that weren't an event or anything, but we had What If stories and we had the X-Men Black books. Yep. What If is like my favorite thing of all time. Yep. I have one spinner rack at home. And I'm very careful about what goes in it. I have all my what-ifs. I worked on two generations of what-if books back when I was an early editor and then in talent management. And then one of the things I wanted to do is bring it back. And the thing about this what-if thing, it didn't follow a specific set rule. It didn't have to be you zig when you zag. It didn't have to be the watcher or the unseen telling the story. It was what the editor's visions are of what what what-if is. And they came up with some ideas that I think were really crazy. Yeah, that Ghost Rider one. Kathleen Wisniewski. Oh, God. Oh, she's, she's such a great editor. Yeah. And when she printed that idea, I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? You know. If for nothing else, it gives us Ricky Purden in his jacket, in his jacket. as a cameo in that book. I just gave her props in the editorial meeting today for doing that. <laughs> Very good. And then the X-Men Black Books. That was really fun because we get to spotlight the antagonist E-type X-Men characters. Plus, you get the apocalypse story that's running through it all. Those are great. And again, it was, you know, featuring a, a mix of new writers and classics. Chris Claremont coming back and telling a fantastic Magneto story, all tied together by those amazing J. Scott Campbell straight covers. And then the uh, Apocalypse backup stories running through each. So I was just really happy with each individual piece of that package. And it just held together so nicely as a collection and did set the stage for some of the stuff that is coming up, especially that Emma issue. Very true. Very true. Iceman and Unstoppable Wasp. Really happy to see both those books come back. Yep. Cena, Nathan Stockman, just Having a blast yep. with Iceman. I'm sure you're very happy with the uh, Amazing Friends issue. That was actually a suggestion that I threw out to <laughs> Cena. So uh, Cena's one of my favorite people, and he's just such an open and collaborative writer, You know, working with me and editor Darren Shan to kind of really lend his voice to the book, but tie this one a little bit more to the Marvel Universe than the previous series was something we wanted to do, and he's just really put it all together. Nathan has just been doing a wonderful job of, of bringing Iceman to life. Yeah, and we've got Unstoppable Wasp. Jeremy Whitley, having a great time, bringing these characters back, and Gurihiro. Gurihiro. Oh, my God. They are, they're treasures. They, they really are. Yeah. It's hard to believe that they've been working with us consistently for so long at Marvel and how much they've contributed, not just to the comic division, but to licensing and consumer products and the way their art has just been embraced globally. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just two amazing women who have the utmost artistic talent and just know how to draw something that's going to appeal to fans, no matter where they're from, how old they are, male or female. Yeah. Big issue for a lot of people this uh, this year, Shuri. Nettie Okorafor coming in and Leo Romero. Yep. He's like five years old. Yeah. Such a tiny little baby drawing his heart out. I know. He's not five years old. I don't need any guff from listeners. But he's young. Yeah. And he's got so much more he can learn and do. Yeah. Sometimes you can say, like, I remember when I saw that artist for the first time going back. And people just take note. This is someone who in five, ten years is going to be multiple award-winning noted author. You're going to have every book on his shelf. And you can say, I remember back when. Yeah. Uh-huh. I love that. Moon Knight 200, sort of the end of this Moon Knight run, end of Max Bemis and wild stuff. And I love what Paul Davidson was doing, too. There's that one really trippy issue. Yeah. And that final issue, you know, we tried to get as many of the the people who have contributed to Moon Knight back. Jason Burroughs, Bill Sankiewicz had a page in there. And then, you know, 
able to get that David Finch cover, which was so important to me after David's been gone from Marvel for so long. Yeah. You know, he's back and he's having a blast. And that Moon Knight cover is just the first of many things that David's hopefully going to contribute for us. That is a nice return. I yeah. like that. A little bit more about spider Good with Ghost Spider, because we've heard Ghost Spider's name. Mm-hmm. But now we're actually getting to see maybe a little bit about how this is all coming together. And I think Shannon is, she's terrific. Shannon is just a, a dream to work with. She's so creative. I mean, she is someone who's had such success in novels, but has been a Marvel fan through and through. Every panel I've done with her, she's been in some kind of Marvel t-shirt or sweater. She just loves this stuff and understands the characters at a core level. And then, you know, what Rosie Campy's doing on the artwork, it's really nice to just have an all-female creative team bringing that character to life at this point. And you know, like you said, exploring the different dimensions, real and personal, mm-hmm. that Gwen is going through. Yeah. Can you imagine a couple years ago having 50 issues of an Old Man Logan story? And we did it. Yeah. And it was there's this large arc of four years. And now yeah. we're going into Dead Man Logan. Yeah. No uh, slight to you know what Ed did over those 50 issues of of Old Man Logan with all the amazing collaborators he worked with from you know Dio to Sorrentino. There's just been a, a murderer's row of artists that have contributed to that book in some way, shape, or form. But the new series, Dead Man Logan, with Mike Henderson on art, is just breathtaking. This is another one where people are going to go, wait, why haven't I been reading this for the last four years? Yeah, Mike Henderson came in and punched me in the face with that Old Man Logan versus Deadpool series. Yep. That's a guy... I want everything he he touches. Yep. Uh, we've got Marvel Knights 20th that just started. I don't know what. It makes me feel so old. I'm sure you're the same <laughs> yes. way. Jeez. Yes. This is another book where we've got the overarching story that Donnie is helping tell, but a lot of interesting newer voices coming in, like Teeny and other Vita. people. Yeah, yeah. Vita. Matt's, Matt, that Rosenberg guy again, he's popping up everywhere. Son of a gun. But yeah, you know, we knew we had to do something special to celebrate. 20th, you know, Joe and Jimmy and all the people that they worked with on those books over the years. It was such an important piece of Marvel's history, especially, you know, with the 80th coming up. You know, let's do right and celebrate their 20th leading up to what we're going to have planned for next year as well. Joe personally selected Donnie to come in and write the story and bring back all the Marvel Knights characters that some people might not even remember or associate with Marvel Knights. Yeah, totally. This year has included, I think, my favorite Avengers comic of all time, Avengers 700. It is one of those books where I feel like I can take this and give it to anyone yep. and say, this is Marvel Comics here. I put that book down. The first thing I was like, oh, my God. And I like had to look in a mirror because I felt like I was eight again. You know, it's like that's what it made me feel like. One of those classic old timey Avenger tales that threw everything and the kitchen sink in there. Just from the teams that they introduced to the relationship they had, the villains, the fights, the future, you know, scene of here's what things to come. And then at the end, the surprise reveal of who Wasp was going to free. When you say a comic had it all, that one really, truly did. And the art- artist collection that Tom Brevoort put together for that, top notch. You know? Amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I think it was maybe last week, Black Order number one came out. And I was like, okay, cool, Black Order. And I read it. I'm like, wait. What is this? Having Philip Tan back at Marvel yep. is really great. Yep. But I've never read anything by Derek Landy, and this is a guy I want to read more. No, of. he's a new British writer that Tom Brevoort's been keeping his eye on for a while. Just felt like you know something we should explore a little bit more. And giving them that kind of depth, these are you know <laughs> intergalactic killers. But you, <laughs> you feel sorry for him at some point. It looks like with, with Corvus Glaive and the, the group, really, really you know an interesting book that, like you said, unexpected. Yeah, quirky and fun. We're now up to Uncanny X-Men. As an X-Men guy, it's got to feel good to get an Uncanny X-Men back 
on the table again. Yeah. And, you know, we've had this plan all along. And, you know, with Matt, Kelly, and Ed contributing to that book as writers, it was seamless. Just like the Ron Robin team that Tom put together in Avengers No Surrender that we talked about earlier, you can't tell who wrote one page or the other. The dialogue, they work together like a, a true team. It's like a hive mind writing that book. Mahmoud Asrar kicking it off, Darby Silva doing issue two. The art is just going to be seamless through it, and it's just so much fun. And the tale that we're telling, I remember we had this retreat, a smaller X-Men retreat. We all got together, and they came to us with the idea of telling stories about Legion and Madrox and Bishop. And I was like, are those really the characters you want to tell it? A, a ring rag uncanny with? They're like, trust us. <laughs> sure enough, like, wow. You know? Yeah. Uh, Kenny's going to run... Weekly through issue 10, we're telling that big story. We go right into Age of X-Man. And then at the same time, which people didn't expect, Uncanny will continue by Matt and Salvador LaRocca, focusing on the return of two popular characters, Wolverine and Cyclops, who have been announced, uh, who are going to be teaming up and bringing the X-Men back together. But we just haven't said which X-Men yet. (laughs) I love that. We've got books that, by the time we're recording it, I have not read yet. Mm-hmm. And I know some of these are coming out in the next couple of weeks. Ironheart yep. by Eve Ewing and Kevin Labranda, yep. which I'm very excited for. I love Eve on, on Twitter. She's great. Yeah. And I think her take on, on Ironheart, I'm so excited for. I've had the, you know, of course, in my position, the pleasure of reading the book uh, <laughs> before I went to print. And, you know, really could not be happier uh, with what Eve put together. She pitched us a story and then wrote a script on spec to show us how serious she was. And she nailed Riri's voice. She, you know, really showed us that not only did she want the gig, she earned the gig. And the first issue just really shows her understanding of the character and what it means to be a superpowered human in the Marvel universe. Especially at that age. It's such a, you know, a young vulnerable age for someone who's just coming up as a teenager still. Yeah. CB, what was the Defenders team when you were reading? Did you read Defenders when you were younger? Yeah, I read all the incarnations of the Defenders. You know, I I remember the the Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, Hulk one fondly. But my favorite team of the Defenders was, you know, Gargoyle, Valkyrie. Cloud? uh, Yes, that that team around there. Nice. Well, we have a Defenders book, which is the classic team. I'm excited for this because the people who are working on these stories – Jason Latour, Al Ewing, yep. Chip Zdarsky. Those Ron Garney covers that tie them all together, painted by Richard Isenoff. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Those are going to be coming out real soon. A Killmonger book. Yeah. We've got Brian Ember Hill. And Juan Ferreira uh, is another one of those artists who came in and he did old, uh, an arc on Old Man Logan. Yep. And I was like, whoa, this guy is incredible. Yeah. Visceral. Dangerous looking art at times. People came out in droves after seeing the movie, wanted more Black Panther, took everything they can. And they said, all right, there's all these great Black Panther books from Priest, from what Reggie Hudlin was doing up to what ta doing. And they said, but where's the book about Shuri? Where's the book about Killmonger? So, you know, we at Marvel, we aim to please. So we start putting these out. And who knows, maybe next it'll be an M'Baku book because he seems to be another breakout character that people seem to be demanding yeah, a lot of. I'd be into that. He's great. Star Wars, we have Age of Republic yep. starting which is going to have a whole bunch of stories coming up and, and characters and telling some really interesting tales of those early days. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, we focused so much on, on our original Star Wars books over the first four years on, you know, Luke, Han, Leia, Darth Vader, and everybody. Fans kept asking, when are we going to see some of the other characters come out? You know, we focused on some of the, the, the Episode 7 and 8 stuff as well, but now it's time to go back into the Star Wars canon and bring out some of those characters that people know and love and tell new stories about them as well. Yeah. 
talking about people coming back as we have over the course of these episodes. Kyle Higgins coming back to write Winter Soldier yep. with Rod Reese. I'm excited for that. Kyle's been a guy that is just doing so much amazing stuff around the industry. Did a lot of fun stuff at Marvel back in the day and bringing him back on this character that everybody loved. And being able to help people. Yep. I think there's a really cool take in here. Uh, we've got the Fantastic Four, the wedding. A wedding that will happen as advertised. Yes. I do will be said <laughs> by two characters who are the characters we have built them this getting married. <laughs> Reaffirming that right here. But the issue does not have its twists and turns and cliffhangers and su surprises. There's so much going on bringing in people like Adam Hughes, like Mike Allred is a Silver Server collaborator. It's just another one of these beautiful anniversary books that people are going to pick up and just fall in love with and make them feel like, like it, they were a kid again. Yeah. Tears will be shed. Oh, I can't wait. I feel like the next one is a book that you guys cast for me, which is Miles Morales' Spider-Man number one by Saladin Ahmed and Javier Garon. Yes, who we've is... talked about. Yeah, names Oof. keep popping up. I said earlier that, you know, uh, Javier has been growing as an artist. This is where he is going to shine. I saw some of the newest pages, and I'm just like, oh, my God, who drew those? You know, <laughs> I couldn't even tell it was him. And... This is where Saladin really is cementing himself in the Marvel Universe. He's done a lot of the fringe stuff. You know, he did Black Bolt. He did Quicksilver. He's in the Exiles. But now this is him, front and center, mainstream Marvel character who has a movie coming out around the same time. And it's got to be nerve-wracking for him. But we think he found Miles' voice and is giving him a place that's different from what Brian and Sada and the other artists have done to date. That's great. We've got a new superior Spider-Man book, Christos, getting those Spider-Good vibes and leading on into new books. And I love that it's not just, it takes place in San Francisco, so it's expanding that Marvel Universe. I always love when stories took place in Chicago or Los Angeles yeah. or Miami, and here we're going to be focusing more on the West Coast. We've got West Coast Avengers and now Doc Ock, Superior Spider-Man, coming out later in the year. And who knows, maybe there is a crossover of those characters in the Ooh. works. Speaking of stories taking place in different areas... I loved when we did the 50 States Initiative. Yeah. I don't remember ever getting all the states and all the teams. Yeah. I don't know if we ever did that. I think Dan and Tom had them all planned out in their heads oh, somewhere. Oh, I, I yeah. need those. Because yeah. I want what I, maybe a what if in the future. What if the 50 States Initiative continued just so I could have a map? Uh, we've got X-Force number one, the fallout of extermination, which yep. we won't spoil. But Ed, Dylan Burnett coming through and telling the story. And we were talking while we weren't recording about what's going on. You were just... Getting so excited. Yeah. No, this is a book I'm truly excited about. You know, I was always an X fan. I was an Immunist fan. I was an X-Force fan. I was a Domino fan. I've loved all of that. And this is a book that really goes back to its roots and explores those characters, but with their modern Marvel kind of personas and how they've grown as characters. And when they try to get back together and relive that past magic, yeah. it's like a reunion tour gone bad with <laughs> Deathlock thrown in the mix. <laughs> the really twisted Deathlock. Yeah. Like I said, the artwork on it, Dylan Burnett is just so amazing. And this is another Ed just continuing to show, you know, why he's one of Marvel's breakout writers. Yeah. Those are sort of the ones that I pinpointed as sort of number ones or big anniversary issues, but so many ongoing, consistently great books, whether it's Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Spider-Man versus Deadpool is one of my personal favorites. Yep. I love what Robbie Thompson does with the, just the weirdness of that book. It's really funny. Weapon H, Weapon X. Runaways. Runaways. There's so much great stuff. Ms. Marvel. Yep. I mean, just... You've got a great 
stable of titles. You know that everybody that we work with down there. There's not a better bunch of people and not a bigger bunch of Marvel fans. And they are the ones who really put their hearts into the nitty gritty of putting these books out with the creators. And we could not be happier with the way that the line is going, the way that the team is functioning. Any character you liked when you were a kid or when you were younger, you were growing up, or what character you were first exposed to, you can see that love that the editors had or the creators had reflected back at you in the pages of our comics. Yeah. But before we go, before we wrap, we got to look ahead a little bit more to 2019. There's some great stuff ahead for the Marvel fans. We've got Marvel's 80th anniversary. Yep. I know you and the team have been putting together these wonderful plans of how we celebrate it. So much fun stuff planned. And we're looking back not just at the Marvel superhero stuff, really. You know, the golden age of Marvel started with Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. But going back to the Western stuff, to the genre stuff, the monsters, the horror, the sci-fi, really celebrating what Marvel was before we became known for the superhero companies we are. Then going back and not only looking at the characters' histories, but going back to a lot of those classic creators and setting kind of the future for what the next 80 years of Marvel is going to be in the second half of next year. Yeah. My one pick for everybody to keep their eyes out for, Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal. Yes. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm. Very excited for that. Uh, Conan comes back home next year. First issue is put together. It is written, drawn, colored, lettered, going off to press. And I could not be more excited. You know, I was a big Conan fan when I was reading Marvel Comics back in the day. And the fact that he comes back now under my watch is really an honor for me uh, to have Jason Aaron writing it, who said, if I don't get to write Conan, I'm going to kill you, (laughs) for the most part. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Was was, was a convincing argument. (laughs) And, you know, Mahmoud Asrar, a lot of people thought was an interesting pick, but that was one where we just said, he grew up loving Conan. He has such an interesting style. Let's really take someone who we feel is going to be the next superstar and put them on a book where they're going to be able to shine. And when people see these pages, they're going to just see the magic that these creators have put together. So good. And then we've got Jerry and Ron. Jerry and Ron coming on Savage Sword, Sword, uh, you know, painted by Izanov. We're just really excited about where everything is going in the Conan universe. Yeah. We've got Daredevil by Chip Starsky, Marco Coquetto, which is Great, and then like, the five-issue story between that with those beautiful Kyle Holtz covers. Yep, Man Without Fear. Yeah, yeah. great stuff ahead uh, for Daredevil, I'm sure, a ton of other You characters. know, and just like, you know, we were talking earlier that Steve McNiven uh, artistically deconstructed kind of Barry Windsor Smith when he got onto to uh, Return of Wolverine. Chip, as a writer, is really doing his take on Frank Miller, Dave Mazzucchelli, you know, bringing back some of that classic, great, gritty feel. Ooh. When people see this, they're just going to be really blown away because the different direction that he's taking from what... Charles has done before, if that is Matt Murdock in the suit, because dun, dun, dun. Daredevil is dead. Yeah, <laughs> a famed New York City resident, Chip Zdarsky. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> We've got our next Avengers Weekly with Avengers No Road Home. Yep, which... and uh, again, the, the creative team's coming back, telling another big, classic, cosmic story that is going to affect all parts of the Marvel Universe. And just like the first one had some twists and turns and some surprises and some returns of some characters, Who's to say that this one won't as well? So excited for this one, CB. Uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about Uncanny X-Men. We teased about Age of X-Men. But I want to end with the thing that I'm maybe most excited for across all of Marvel, which is War of the Realms. Yeah. I say that honestly from movies, television, video, like everything that we do, I am so 
beyond excited for what War of the Realms is, is going to bring forth. We've been hearing about this now for how many years? And people think this might be a spur of the moment thing that, oh, Marvel's throwing it together. No, not at all. This is a well-oiled machine. Just like Jonathan Hickman's kind of run on Fantastic Four and Avengers and New Avengers led to Secret Wars, this is Jason Aaron's master plan. You yeah. know, He has been really putting this together and combining his loves not just of Marvel, but of different genres together. The magic of his storytelling is coming full bear with those amazing Russell Dowderman pencils in the main series, not to mention what's going to be going on everywhere else. And again, people always say it redefines the universe and things like that. But this one is really going to have a lasting impact on a lot of what goes on yeah. going forward in Marvel. I'm so excited, so ready for it. But uh, CB, thank you for joining me on these episodes of This Week in Marvel. Ryan, it was my pleasure. Could not be happier to be here and uh, to many, many more. Big thanks once more to CB Sobolski. And I want to give a big thanks to our producers who, breaking news, everybody, I can name them both. Well, first, we have evil producer Brandon, who's busted his butt on all the Marvel podcasts all year long. But also to Persia, who uh, usually just frowns at me and makes jokes and scribbles on her notepad while uh, we're recording. But she does really great work taking out all my flubs and my flaws. And uh, the two of them have done tremendous work all year long. So if you listen to any of the Marvel podcasts, it is because they have worked tirelessly for you guys, giving you all this great audio. So it's really good. Uh, we had a great year. Last thing is our question of the week. And I want to say, if you celebrated holidays with presents, I'm trying to be as general as possible. If you got or received any presents, did you get anything that was Marvel related? Let us know as our question of the week. You can tweet your answers using hashtag this week in Marvel, email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. That's it. Next week is our 2019 preview episode. So stick around. We'll have our first episode of 2019 to you in a few days. Until then, I'm Ryan, and this is Marvel, your universe.